The following podcast is a glimpse into the life of Ecclesia Houston. We pray it is a blessing as you seek to follow Jesus, the liberating King, and live in his kingdom here on earth as it is in heaven. I've been fired up in every part of this series. I think if you've been around, you could tell Sean and I both, we enjoy talking to you about the Bible and offering some ways and some insights that we think will be really helpful for you. And if you've missed any of those, they're on YouTube. Uh, we wanna encourage you to, to watch them because it's gonna build and it's continue to build through Lent. And I think, from week to week, I have these moments, right, where I just go like, I love my job. I love what I get to do. I love that the fact that what I get to share with you today, I, I think can make your load lighter. Uh, I think it can make your, your smile wider and, and give you a, a sense of, of great joy. I'm a little extra fired up because I had a really great week. I had a great week spending time with my wife. The week before, I had one of my harder days where every year, I have to do these awful medical tests. Anybody have to do like every year and they just like you wait and you don't want to do it. And I was really grateful Kristen was here to go with me. And it, I do this heart MRI and some years you never know when, while you're in the heart MRI, they'll give you a heart stress test, which makes you think you're having a heart attack while you're in a small tube, which there's just nothing pleasant about that. And you want to squeeze the thing and say, let me out. And, but if you do, then you have to do it again. So that's worse, right? You can't do it. And we got through it faster than normal. And then there was an announcement with that, uh, the greatest musical of all times uh, was in Houston and they added a show that afternoon. And so I surprised my wife. She had never seen it. How many of you got to see Les Mis while it was in town uh, a couple of weeks ago? Like no one. Oh my Lord. <laughs> Literally not a single person other than me got to see Les Mis while I was in town. You guys know we're in the fourth largest city in the United States with one of the best art scene and the best musical of all. How many of you have seen Les Mis at some point in your life? I, I wanna encourage you to read the novel because the novel's even better. And um, it was one of those days. We finished all my medical tests, we get to Les Mis and we're in the fourth largest city in the United States but every now and then it feels like a small town. And I kid you not, we get to the musical it's packed, sold out, all these shows are. And in the whole city of all the places, I look 10 rows in front of me and there's a bald head that looks just like mine. My parents were there and they were, and they were sitting 10 rows in front of me. And I literally, I was like, that looks like my bald head in 20 years. And I'm like, that's my dad. And, um, and we got to take a photo with them. And I'm wondering as the musical starts, right? Like how, like, how do they end up here? And we end up here and... And if you don't know, like, why is this the greatest musical of all times? So like, if you see it, you know the story. It's because they drop Jesus right in the beginning of it. it. If you haven't seen it, within three minutes of the musical starting, you meet Jesus. Like, really meet Jesus. And... And the whole world, the whole story changes. This, this character, Jean Valjean, has, um, has been imprisoned for stealing a loaf of bread to feed his daughter's child. And he serves in the most brutal prison camp. And he's finally released for his crime. And he's brought into a world where he's not welcome. He's a convict. He can't get work. There is literally no place to go. He is sleeping on the streets. He's been abused. He's angry. And in the middle of that, he is sleeping in the streets, and it's like Jesus drops into the story. And this priest, this bishop, approaches Jean Valjean sleeping in the cold, right? And he says, he says, come inside for you are weary. 
and the night is cold out there. And then this is my favorite line. It's so, it's so beautiful. He says, though our lives are very humble, what we have, we have to share. Now, that's a sermon, right? He said, we have wine here to revive you. We have bread to make you strong. There's a bed to rest till morning. Rest from pain and rest from wrong. And it's in that moment that you realize, you see yourself in Jean Valjean and you know he's going to do something else that's really wrong. And there's this horror, right? Because he's been shown such hospitality. And if you read the novel, you would know that the bishop had... Um, the priest, he had given his life to the Lord and to a life of poverty, but he came from a wealthy family. And as the story goes, he had this carryover from his life of wealth, which was the, the silver that he had been passed down from his parents. And so there were great goblets and amazing plates and candelabras. And, and they, when Jean Valjean ate from the silver, he knew I could work my whole life and never make this much money. And so in the middle of the night, he gets up and steals from Jesus, right? The one who showed him like the ultimate grace and welcomed him into his home. And it doesn't take long to figure out he's also going to get caught and he's going to be back in prison. And the officer arrests him and brings him back to the bishop and says, right? He had the audacity to say, that you gave this to him, right? And the bishop says, I, I did. And he forgot these candelabras, right? These two massive pieces, and he gives them to him. And in that place in the story, right, he says, sir, you may release him, for this man has spoken true. I commend you for your duty. May God's blessing go with you. And then he turns to Jean Valjean. And says, but remember this, my brother, see in this some higher plan, you must use this precious silver to become an honest man. By the witness of the martyr, by the passion and the blood, God has raised you out of darkness. And he says these words that change the whole story. I have bought your soul for God. And at that moment, right, Jean Valjean is wrecked because he's been shown a grace that he didn't deserve. And when you receive a grace that you don't deserve, you couldn't earn it, you don't deserve it, it has the power to transform everything. And he becomes a totally different man. The story totally changes. And, and you follow the life of a righteous and a good man who uses what he's been given because he's grateful because he knows he didn't deserve it. Now, Ecclesia, the beauty of this is, and the sad part of it is, that sometimes you have to go to a musical at the Hobby Center to meet Jesus. Because sometimes we don't see him at church and you hear these stories. And for many of us, you've encountered a different Jesus. You think you're following a Jesus that loves you when you perform. And the truth is, he gives you everything when you betray him. You, you can't earn this kind of grace. 
And so as we walk through this series, and Sean and I have been inviting you to see, like, this is why it's important to read the Bible. And if you want to know at the end of the day, like, why does Sean and Pastor Chris, like, love the Bible so much? And, what is, and at the end of the day, it's this. It's about Jesus. I told you at the beginning of this series, I told you the Bible exists because of an event. Does anybody remember that? I preached it a few weeks ago. What was the event? This is the moment I figure out if I should be in this job or not in this job. The event was... Somebody said it? The resurrection. Thank God I'm going to keep my job, right? <laughs> the event was the resurrection. When Jesus resurrected, all these, they, they started going, we need to write this down. Like, this is for real. That not just his teachings, but he was raised from the dead. This is different. This story changes everything. And the Bible came to existence in that moment. And so what you need to know is that the key to reading the Bible is Jesus. You read everything else through the lens of Jesus. You read the Old Testament. You've got to read it in the context of who Jesus is. And then you've got to remember all these things we've taught you, that the Bible's a library, that it's a history of God's story of his people. And sometimes when they're telling that story, again, the Bible is written by whom? Humans, right? Human beings wrote the Bible. And so there's a human nature to it. I had somebody come up to me a couple weeks ago, and a lot of you have sent, had questions, right? And Sean and I may do a little podcast where we answer some of your questions. So if you got some more, send them. We're not afraid of them. Send them. We're happy to. And one of the ladies was like, but what about in the Bible where God told him to kill babies, right? And I just got to tell you right now, as clearly as I can ever tell you, God did not tell anyone to kill babies. He didn't tell anyone ever to kill babies. Now, this is what happens. When humans are writing a story, has anybody ever, well, Let's put it this way. How many of you, anybody ever been broken up with? And when you were broken up with, the person broke up with you and they blamed God? I am breaking up with you because God told me to. Anybody ever have somebody, I'm the only one? They're literally like, just me. God told me to break up with you. I'm like, are you sure it's not that there's a really handsome, successful guy over here? Like, because it seems like maybe that's the reason, right? You, you look back and you're like, well, yeah, I, th I thought God told me. Like God, people think, right? If you look back in your story, you'd be like, I did something because I thought God told me to. And later on, you figure out, like, God didn't tell me. Or you want to blame God. But again, humans wrote the Bible and humans sometimes will go, well, God told me to do it. Like, you don't get to blame God for all your bad things. If you want to know what Jesus, what God believes about violence, you'll find it in Jesus. You'll find it in Jesus. And there is no one that endorses nonviolence like Jesus. Jesus endured the most brutal persecution with no retaliation, not even a verbal retaliation, who had all the power and, and endured. So this is what I want you to hear. It, you, you read the Bible through the lens of Jesus and all of it's understood in the Old Testament and New. The Old Testament wouldn't exist. It was a bunch of scrolls. But after the event, we put it together in a library and said, this library seems like really important things. And some of them were history and some of them were songs. And some are the, in the Pentateuch, God's story of how things came to be and who we are. And, and in the New Testament, we have these letters written to churches that are helpful. There, there's all these really beautiful things. And then we have to learn, okay, how do we read them? But this is what I want you to hear ultimately. One, it's all about Jesus. The Bible's all about Jesus. Secondly, Jesus is never, Jesus is never coercive or violent. Never. 
There's no place that you find the Bible where Jesus is coercive or violent. He invites us to respond with open hands. But I got to tell you, some of you are like, but there's a part of me that just believes that that God is coercive and violent. And in part because we grew up, many of us, in churches that were coercive and shame-filled and used fear. And so there's a part of us, I've learned it's still part of it ingrained in me somewhere in my core because it felt like, I don't know who had the idea, but it felt like the way to motivate people to follow God at times was to scare them. Anybody ever went to like a hell house at Halloween where they tried to scare you to heaven? Nobody here did? Okay, good, good, Danny. You can count on Danny for a creepy church experience, right? And you just go like, we, they were, I literally, I remember, I will never forget being a kid. And we watched these, um, these films, they call them Mark of the Beast or something. And it was about the rapture, which by the way, if, you know, the, rap, if, the rapture's not in the Bible. Like, if you find it in the Bible, you can preach on it at Ecclesia. But here's the thing, it's not in the Bible. It's, somebody made it up fairly recently. And, and so they did these films and it, the rapture happens and everybody leaves. Again, not gonna happen, not in the Bible. And, and then the people that are left behind, I'll never forget, I was in sixth grade. It's like my first time in the youth group. You thought the youth group was gonna be fun. We watched the scariest film ever. The people that get left behind get brought to the guillotines and their heads get chopped off. I kid you not, the youth pastor got up at the end of it and said, if you don't want your head chopped off, you can follow Jesus today. You're like, <laughs> what, what? Oh, I guess I will. I'm just telling you, like, that's not the path. That's just not the path to Jesus. It's not the path there. Those dots don't connect. Jesus was never coercive and never violent. I told a story in the last service that I didn't intend to tell, but I realized that it brought healing. And it just came up because I was listening to a podcast about some of the damage done uh, through the church in the kind of purity culture movement. And they did a lot of weird things at my church too. I'd never heard this one before, but this lady tells the story that was damaging, right? Of being a kid at a Bible study and the the woman that leading the Bible study came and did what you would normally, she brought a pan of brownies to the Bible study and she just brought the pan of brownies and said like, who wants a brownie, right? And it's a youth group, like everybody wants a brownie. And then just some awful object lesson, she went and took the knife that she was gonna use to cut the brownies and she dragged it through dog poop and then she cut the brownies. And then she asked, who wants brownies? And no one wanted brownies. And the implied awful object lesson was that the brownies had been made impure and that if you were impure, no one would want you either. I just got to tell you, Ecclesia, like, if you absorbed a message like that at some point, I'm sorry, it's wrong. You know who wants you? Jesus wants you. Actually, the whole story of the Bible is about none of us can be made pure apart from Jesus, that we are only pure in Jesus, and that Jesus wants you. That's the Bible. If you heard a story like that or a lesson like that and you absorbed it, it, that's what literally in the Bible, again, in the Bible, those those things are known as the Antichrist. The Antichrist isn't a person that's going to appear in the end times, by the way, either. Uh, I grew up in a church and they thought Gorbachev was the Antichrist because he had a birthmark or something. 
No, the antichrist are the things that are antichrist. And the idea that you could be made impure and God wouldn't want you or people wouldn't want you, that's antichrist. That's not Christ. Christ is the opposite. I, I actually want you in your impurity and none of you are pure apart from me anyway. So it's okay. I welcome you. I love you. I receive you. That is the story of God. And it's a, and it's a good and a beautiful story. Philip, Philip Yancey describes it in his, well, before I get to the quote, this, the other thing you need to know is that Jesus wasn't coercive or violent and he wasn't seeking power. Christians often seek power. We often still are obsessed with power. And, and everybody was confused about that. They thought Jesus was gonna use his gifts to do what you would normally do, achieve power. In fact, the, the sons of Zebedee, the James and John, their mom came to Jesus when he became disciples. And there's this passage where she shows up and she starts asking them, hey, so when you come into your kingdom, will my boys sit at your left or right hand, right? She's saying, will one be the secretary of state and the other be the secretary of defense? And Jesus turns to him and says, the, the question is, will they drink the cup that I'm, the father has for me? The cup that Jesus had one was one that led to Calvary, right? I'm not here for power. Philip Yancey describes it this way. He says, power, it's, the contrast is so beautiful and perfect. This is an old book, but it's a beautiful book. If you want to read something about like, who's the real Jesus? He invites you into some really beautiful thoughts. It was transformative for me when I read it. What do you think, Steve? Is it 30 years ago almost that he wrote this book? It's, yeah, it's an old book. He says this, he says, power, no matter how well-intentioned, tends to cause suffering, right? Even if you hold your power well, it will create harm from time to time. It's the mantle or the burden in some ways of power. It, power tends to cause suffering. Love and being vulnerable absorbs it. In a point of convergence on a hill called Calvary, God renounced the one for the sake of the other. This is actually the story of the Bible, Ecclesia, that the one with the most power chose to come in weakness rather than in power. It's the beautiful part of the story. And then invites us, I'll read a passage to you to make it clear, to then do the same. In Luke 10, this is, Jesus has, um, there's this great passage. He's been training disciples, getting them ready to launch the Jesus work, the Jesus ministry. And in Luke 10, he sends them out. And you're going to find maybe in the church that you grew up in like mine, you heard the first part of this, but not the second part. In Luke 10, it tells us that the Lord received, recruited, and deployed 70 more disciples. He sent them ahead in teams of two to visit all the towns and the settlements between them and Jerusalem. This is the launch of the Jesus movement, right? And this is what he ordered. He said, there's a great harvest waiting in the fields but there aren't many good workers to harvest it. Pray that the harvest master will send out good workers to the fields. Now, this is the point that if you'll, if I was preaching this in the church I grew up in, we would stop and say, there's a great harvest waiting in the fields. We need good workers. And then I would give you a stack of tracks to go out now into the first ward and knock on people's doors, right? And, and create the harvest, right? And tell them, you know, these are the four spiritual laws or something. It's interesting that they stopped at this passage because what Jesus invites his disciples to do is actually very different. This is what he says. He says, it's time for you 70 to go. I'm sending you out armed. Now armed sounds like you're getting a sword, but he says you're armed with vulnerability, right? 
What's he saying? You're not going out to, to tell someone how they're wrong and how you're right. You're actually going out to love and to be hurt. He says, I'm sending you out armed with vulnerability. You're like lambs walking into a pack of wolves. Now, Jesus is giving his pregame speech before he launches them. This is the worst pregame speech ever given to anyone. He says, this is what's going to happen. You're going to go out and you're going to get hurt really bad. He, he's letting us know your superpower isn't your strength. It's your weakness, your willingness to love and to be hurt. And if you have been a Christian very long, if you've embraced the way of Jesus, you've been hurt. Ask our brother Manuel, who leads the Nestoy community. He loves people really well. Like you, you spend time with Manuel, like he just loves people really well. You know what that means? If you talk to Manuel very long, Manuel's been hurt a lot. People Manuel's loved. If, you know what? The world's better with Manuel in it, loving people and being hurt. And we get to be a part of a crew, a church, where we together say, Let, let's do that thing. Let's follow the way of Jesus and love to the point that we know people will actually hurt us. Then he explains, this is how you're going to do it, by the way. He says, go out and don't bring a wallet. Don't carry a backpack. I don't even want you to wear shoes, which seems unusual, right? You're on road. He says, I, what do you, happens when you wear, don't wear shoes? You walk slowly, carefully, thoughtfully. You pay attention to where you are. It slows you down. Anybody need to be slowed down this week, maybe, to see somebody in front of you that you might have missed? And then he says, as you slow down, just find people and love them. Don't offer small talk. When you enter a house saying, peace on this house, shalom. Go and eat and feast and stay with people and love them and love them well. That is a beautiful gift. Jesus has invited us into vulnerability, not into power. Second, thirdly, I don't know how many I have. Um, I think it's thirdly. The thing I love about Jesus and the reason that Jesus fulfillment of the, the Bible and the truth is so important is that Jesus destroys the worldly eye thought of us versus them. We just naturally fall into it. You listen to politics, you go anywhere, it's us and them, it's us and them. And even a lot of churches, I grew up, the church I grew up in, everything was either sacred or it was secular. There was the Christian music and the not Christian music, right? And then one day you just realize like music's just music. God made every melody. Every melody belongs to God, everyone that's ever been sung. It, there's no such thing as like, you don't go to the store and buy Christian cereal. There's just cereal. There's too many kinds of cereal, but there's no Christian cereal. It's just cereal. Because all cereal, all bread, all things that exist, every sunrise, every sunset, it's all from God. God made it all. It's all for our delight, right? And it's beautiful, and it's true, and it's a gift. So one of, one of the ways that you can find what Jesus believes, by the way, there was an ancient trick that if you met a rabbi and you wanted to know what their worldview was, you wanted to know what they really believe, you wouldn't ask them, like, what's your statement of belief or what, um, you know, what's the core of you? You would say this. You would say, Rabbi, how should we pray? And if you asked a rabbi, how should I pray, you'd find out what they believe. And really, for many of you, if I asked you, like, how do, how do you pray? How should I pray? The way you pray will tell me a lot about what you believe, right? And so they asked Jesus, they're like, Jesus, how should we pray? 
And I I got like one minute left of the sermon, so I'm going to move through it fast, but this is what you need to hear. I'm going to preach like an auctioneer. Jesus prays this prayer, and he starts it, and he says what? The first word of the prayer is, our, our Father in heaven. No us, no them. It's our Father, all of us in this big family. Let your name remain holy. He says, bring about your kingdom. He, Father, again, don't get caught up in the paternal. Like in, in the Bible, God's not a man or a woman. In, in the Bible, we understand different parts of God uh, through our own experience. That's all we have, right? In other passages in the Bible, uh, God is like a mother hen protecting, right? In this, the prayer, it's not male or female, but he's saying, like the one who set up the house that we dwell in, that runs the things, the one in charge of what we do, let your name remain holy, bring about your kingdom. Now you gotta remember, this was a political term, it was loaded. And he's praying that your kingdom manifests, and he's already talked about our Father in heaven and this kingdom, and what's he saying, right? And he says, manifest your will here on earth as it is manifest in heaven. At the beginning of this prayer, you already get the heart of what Jesus is about. He's saying, there's a place called heaven where everything is right, everything is just, no one suffers, everyone has enough. It is a place of perfection unlike what we have here. Now, here's the great thing. He talks about what's here, but he talks about it in this way that's hopeful. How awful would the world be if Jesus said, this is as good as it gets, I mean, if I looked out on you and said today, like, most of you peaked in high school. (laughs) Oh, God, the worst thing that could ever happen is to peak in high school, right? If I looked out to you today and said, the politics of today are the best it's ever going to get. These two candidates you can vote for in the next year, there will never be two better candidates than those, right? That would make you want to lose your mind, right? That can't be true, it, we, we live with the sense of like, there has to be something. The, the best surely is ahead of us. And, and Jesus, right away in the beginning of this prayer says, no, there's a place that's perfect. And if we work together, this place on earth could be like that. You, you see how at the beginning of a prayer, Jesus has already turned the whole world upside down and why people would be like, I want to follow him. That's who I want to follow. And then in that second half of the prayer, I'm just going to bust through it quickly, but he kind of invites you to say, but, and by the way, this is how you could do it. He says, well, you could start with right now. He says, in the present, could you just be content with what you have today? Give us each day's bread, no more, no less. What if today we only took what we needed and we shared the rest? What if we did the same tomorrow? Give us each day that day's bread, no more, no less. Then he deals with the biggest problems of the past, the things that hold people down. He looks to the past and says, and forgive us our debts as we forgive those who owe us something. You see, debts in the Bible, and still today, they're the worst. Anybody have them? You just go like, yeah, they're the worst. And in the ancient world, debts could wipe you out. You could end up being a slave. God set up a system where he said, you ought to forgive all debts. We don't know that people really did it, but every seven years you should forgive all debts because nobody should ever be a slave to their debt. And he assumes a world where he says, could we look back on the past and forgive old debts? And then he looks to the future and says, in the future, could we ask you to lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil? And he says, that your kingdom would be and let it be powerful and glorious forever, amen. Do you you hear how the the rabbi that is the the perfect um, 
priest and king and prophet has in a prayer turned the whole world upside down. He destroys us versus them. And then lastly, I want to invite you into some things you can do in this. The the thing I love about Jesus, and we're going to build on this in the coming weeks, is that if you actually listen to the teachings of Jesus, and we highly recommend them at Ecclesia, if you actually listen to the teachings of Jesus, it doesn't work in any way as dogma or propaganda. It, It just doesn't. You can't take Jesus' teaching and create a dogma where you push people out. You just can't. It it doesn't work as a, I'm smarter. You'd never hear Jesus' teaching and go, I'm right, you're wrong, I'm smarter than you. In fact, most of Jesus' teaching, even the people that listened to him, the disciples that heard him all the time, were like, what's he talking about? But then they asked more questions. It developed more humility, but they wanted to seek the way of the one who is inviting us into a world that could be transformed to be on earth as it is in heaven. And over Lent, um, Sean and Eric and I are gonna invite you into a series. We're gonna be teaching the parables of Jesus. These parables that offer this hope, this beautiful way to see the world. It's not dogmatic, it's not propaganda, it's beautiful. And you, you enter into these stories and these stories have the power to really change you. And Lent is a great time for change. It's a great time to see the things that are broken and, and be a part of fixing them. So this is what I wanna tell you is that during Lent, we're gonna invite you into a bunch of experiences. And together, we're gonna put to work the things that we've learned over recent weeks. How do we read the Bible? We're gonna offer you some opportunities to do things like Lectio Divina. This beautiful thing that we love to do, it's part of the ancient church, where we hear the scriptures, we hear them multiple times, we listen in silence, and this is what happens. If you hear the scripture and you listen quietly, God will speak to you, and often directly about things you need to do, like today. It's beautiful. We're going to do some things like Visio Divina, where we see some art and um, some beauty, and we ask what God might be saying to me about who I am in the world in light of those things. It, it's a gift. We're, we're gonna have, we have a wonderful family that's gonna host, or maybe the whole family, Alex is gonna lead a Taizé service that is an opportunity to experience the Bible in a contemplative way and a beautiful worship service. And then I'm gonna be leading what I can only right now call a seminar. And this is what I wanna invite you to do. I would love for everybody in the church uh, to do this. I've struggled with what to call it, but we're gonna call it something like the art of embracing our full humanity. And this is what I'm going to do. I'm going to invite you to a night at the West Side. If you don't know, if you haven't been there recently, we were given the coolest pizza oven on the planet um, at the West Side. And Asher's going to sling some pizzas, and we're going to make some pasta. And if you want a glass of wine, I'm going to, I'm going to let you bring a bottle of wine and share it with me because it's not in the budget. But you can bring it. And, and we're, we're going to, this is what I'm going to invite you into. I believe that many of us, have believed the wrong things about God and about ourselves, and it's kept us, it's blocked us from being who we were made to be. It's just, there's some things, there's some shame in some places, some things that we need to lay down. And, and if we would lay down some shame and some, some false beliefs about our identity, we might find our full potential and how to love people in beautiful ways. And then we're gonna do some similar things with kids. Part of what I've been reading as a part of inviting you into this is this idea that most of us were really good at being ourselves, until we were like seven or eight years old. Anybody remember, like if you ask a group of five and six year olds, like who's an artist? Everybody, who's the strongest one here? I am, who's the fastest one here? I am, right? Everybody, and then about eight years old you ask and they're like, oh, who's the, like she's the fast one. He's the smart one. She's the creative one. 
we start to compare ourselves and we start to listen to this voice that tells us like you're, you're not that great anybody remember that process of being and you you started to to judge yourself in some ways and so i've been wondering like what if we wouldn't it have been amazing if somebody had sat you down when you were five and six and say pretty soon you're going to start hearing this voice and it's going to tell you like you're not that beautiful don't ever listen to it that voice is going to tell you like you're not that smart or you're not that special. never listen to that voice like wouldn't that have been amazing if we'd figured that out earlier so we're going to do some unpacking a bunch of us we've listened to the wrong voice we need to unpack it. And then we're going to pull our kids aside and we're going to tell them that. Like, hey, never listen to that voice. That voice is a liar. Listen to the voice of God. And so, Ecclesia, we're going to invite you to read the Bible and for us to do it together. And so this is the thing. It, all of these things are going to come out in the next week as kind of a menu. Things that you can do throughout Lent. A number of them, like if you want to taste Asher's Pizza at the Art of Embracing Our Full Humanity, you're going to have to sign up quickly and get a spot. So we're going to send that to you. I want to make sure everybody gets it. So if you are not on our newsletter, this is the time to do that. And you will get that in the following week of what we do. You would know if you're on our newsletter because a couple times a week you would get it. If you will just take your phone and hit that QR code, you can be signed up for our newsletter. And when those go out, everyone will get them at the same time. And I want to invite you to sign up for those things. Here's the good news, Ecclesia. The Bible is a gift. And if we read it well, this is who we're not, by the way. There are a bunch of people. Anybody ever been with people that love to fight about the Bible? Like, I think the Bible's, like, I just, the stupidest thing you could ever do is fight about the Bible. It, it's this thing that came to teach us who God is and that Jesus is the fulfillment of love. It's just not a source of something. But often what people want to do is they want to kind of say, like, I love the Bible more than you love the Bible, Right? And so a lot of people have these words around like, you know, what the Bible is. And people ask like, is the Bible this or is it that? Is it inerrant? Is it uh, infallible? Is it like, those words, like, they, I, I don't know how to tell you what they even mean. Um, the truth is, the Bible is the Bible. It's a library. It was written by humans, but God uses it. You see Jesus fully in it. It's, it's perfect, I think, in every way that it needs to be perfect. That's what I tell people. The Bible's perfect in every way that it needs to be perfect. Now, as you read that, you're going to be reminded of places that feel off. Now, one of the reasons I can speak authoritatively about this is I spent 10 years of my life while I was pastor of the church leading a Bible translation project. It's one we use called The Voice. It's published by Thomas Nelson. It's used by a lot of churches in a lot of places. And we got to work with some of the best scholars in the world. And when you're translating, just like if you're tra like translating is hard, especially from ancient manuscripts, there would be places where we were translating the Bible and people would be like, what, what is this? They disagree about what it means. And so I'd have to work with the scholars. We had the best Greek and Hebrew scholars around. There was one passage, um, I love to tell a story of, we were translating in Job, and no, everybody disagreed about what this passage meant. So I went to the head scholar for that part of the Old Testament for us, a Hebrew scholar named Tremper Longman. I think he's the smartest Hebrew scholar you can find. And I said, Tremper, what does this passage mean in Job? And Tremper said, this passage either means that Job went up the mountain or Job did not go up the mountain. So thank you, Tremper. That's really helpful. <laughs> and I'm asking myself, like, do we flip a coin? Like, what do we do? This is the thing. 
the story of Job, it doesn't really matter where Job was on the mountain. It's just not the thing. If you read about some Bible in one place, battle in the Bible, it'll tell you in one place there were this many people in the battle, in another place, another guy will tell you there were this many. They were looking at it from different angles. They got a different count. It doesn't matter. The story of who God is matters. And it comes to perfect clarity in the person of Jesus. And Ecclesia, here's what I want to invite you to. That Jesus never speaks to you in ways that invite shame, is coercive. If you hear the voice of Jesus, you hear the voice of the Spirit. It tells you who you are. And one of the reasons we take communion every week is because I want you and I personally need to be reminded that Jesus loves me the way that he loved the character of Jean Valjean, who didn't earn it, couldn't deserve it, wasn't about the performance, just loved. And then that grace is something I get to share. Thank you for listening to our podcast. If you would like more information, please visit our website at www.ecclesiahouston.org.